0: On the Wall, Part 1 by Lyle C. May. The injury occurred during a basketball game on the yard. I went up for a rebound and came down off balance on the side of my foot, driving my ankle to the ground until there was an audible pop. Down I went, holding my quivering leg and inventing new ways to say the same profanity. When a guard later wheeled me into the prison ER, I expected to be told my ankle was broken. Since it seemed to list to the left without any effort on my part, they might put a cast on it, but that's all. Reasonable medical care isn't something you expect in a place where they prefer a natural death over treatment. And a bare minimum of treatment is considered adequate in prison, but passes for negligence in the free world. It was Saturday, and with no x ray tec- technicians available, the doctor made some calls then told me I would be going to an outside hospital. He gave me a pain pill, crushed and mixed with water to avoid abuse, put my ankle in a temporary splint, and left me to wait. A couple of guards muttered incredulous comments about the cost of an ambulance while I stared at the splint, trying to keep my face neutral. Rattling in my head like a pair of carelessly tossed dice were two words, outside, hospital. Then one, outside, Through the haze of oxycodone, I focused on the ways of pain instead of what outside meant. But this failed as a long-forgotten beacon lanced through it all. Outside. 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 I had not been beyond the wall in seventeen years, existing in the same two hundred yards of dust and cement my entire adult life. Prison had become so ingrained in my thoughts as simply an extension of headspace, impossible to step out of except in death. Even dreams are tainted with fragments of this waking nightmare. It takes more time to brush and floss my teeth than walk to the chow hall, wreck yard, or canteen. I've become so accustomed to the lack of space and movement, an empty 7 by 9 cell feels voluminous. Many of the people around me are so familiar, what they say or do can be counted upon, like a drip from a leaky faucet. This microcosm of life is so removed from the outside that newspapers, magazines, and TV provide figments of the imagination too distant to touch or smell or feel to be true. Even on the yard, a craggy wall surrounds our dirt lot and cracked concrete basketball court, hiding freedom from hungry eyes and erasing memories of a different world that existed before this. Now arrow-slit windows blur the landscape miniature buildings, trees, birds, Touchable as the earth from the moon. It is difficult to picture something you've forgotten, and once you've been reintroduced, it's impossible to understand how you forgot. Not until we passed the checkpoint in front of the prison did it strike me we were beyond the wall. As the last recognizable barrier of my concrete world dwindled, there was no doubt in my mind I remained incarcerated. Handscuffed, chained at the waist, I sat on a motorized gurney with one leg shackled to the other over the temporary splint. To my left side, a transport officer with hands gripping the neck of her bulletproof vest. Two more fall in a pursuit vehicle. I noted these things, along with all the storage compartments in the back of the ambulance, as enthralled with them as the pavement unfolding behind us. So many, so many trees and leaves, tall trunks towering over paved roads with cars glittering in the sun. So much base expanding and filling the square windows before me. Engines hummed, a car honked, and I laughed, jumping at the sound. The officer looked at me. I stared ahead wide-eyed. then at her as the full significance of this trip became something I couldn't keep to myself. I haven't been out of that prison in 17 years. She looked at me in disbelief, incomprehension, curiosity, then resumed talking to the EMT. Street signs punctuated roads into neighborhoods both welcoming and alien, so vivid my eyes watered. Colors vibrated. Even run-down houses with rusted oil tanks and peeling paint, overgrown weeds and shuttered windows were perfect. My eyes jumped to cars I didn't recognize, and a few I remembered from TV ads. They were real, futuristic and fantastic, and me grinning like an idiot. Gloriously green leaves sprouted in lush clusters on branches shifting, swaying, waving, and living out moments of creation as happily as they could. We pulled into the hospital emergency entrance, where I was taken to a bed, x-rayed, told nothing was broken, and hustled into a tiny waiting room away from the ER. I had received some curious glances from hospital staff, but most of it was reserved for the three pistol-toting officers in their vests. They paced and got in the way and gave people serious looks to ward off conversation. As a result, eyes seemed to skip over me, so I sat there, bemused and unable to shift without grimacing in pain or the cuffs sliding up my skinny arms. Finally, three nurses arrived with more temporary cast materials to be exchanged for a walking boot once I met with an orthopedist. There wasn't enough space in the room for six people, so two officers stepped out while the nurses got to work. A friendly conversation between the male transport officer and a nurse began as they joked about what my foot might smell like in six weeks and what a pain in the ass showering would be with periodic instructions for me to breathe when they moved my leg. The banter died when the male nurse asked what my red jumpsuit meant, and an officer standing by the door said, Death Row.